Hello, welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, John Carter. It is largely based on A Princess of Mars, the first book in the Barsoom series of novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs. The film stars Taylor Kitsch in the title role, Lynn Collins, Samantha Morton, Mark Strong, Kieran Hines, Dominic West, James Purfoy, and Willem Dafoe. The film chronicles the first interplanetary adventure of John Carter and his attempts to mediate civil unrest amongst the warring kingdoms of Barsoom. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. This is one of those strange, tragic stories in terms of... uh... Uh, studio executives messing up what should have been like a fairly straightforward like this is the movie made you throw it in cinemas it does fairly decently and we can maybe think about are we going to be able to grow an audience for a sequel and the marketing side uh, it started off initially as John Carter Warlord of Mars because that was the name of the comic books of the time coming out um, by, if memory serves, IDW. Um, no, I think it was, no, it was um, Dynamite. Dynamite. Yeah, Dynamite. It was Dynamite who was releasing them at the time. Then some movie came out that didn't that massively underperformed, not a Disney movie, but a film with war in the title. And they're like, mm, it's a kid's movie. Let's take that out. Spend money remarketing the film John Carter of Mars. And then Mars Needs Mums came out. <laughs> and Disney film, yeah. And they went, holy crap, people don't like Mars. We need to remove Mars out of the title. Spend all of that money again, rebranding the film John Carter. And then they released the movie into the cinemas, which... And people walked into a cinema and they look up at that ticket booth of like, what are we going to watch tonight? John Carter. What is that? Without the rest of the title, there's not a lot of indication of what kind, what movie this is or what kind of movie this is. They, I, even at the time, me knowing what it was based on, I'm like, oh, I, I just hear John Carter and my brain switches that to Coach Carter with Samuel Jackson. <laughs> I mean, we... We we can go through it because yeah this this movie went on a a bit of a journey before it hit the big screen, but talking about money, this movie was such a big flop. It ended up costing Disney around three hundred and fifty million. Yeah, that is insane. It cost them yeah. so much money, and we were talking about this film recently when we reviewed the lone ranger another yeah. movie of theirs that should have done way better than it did but this is a bigger example of a movie going wrong and a movie of this scale yeah and it's not and if you for those listening if you like they spent 350 million dollars to make this movie no 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 the budget was not 350 million dollars the marketing campaign yeah, was, was $350 million. That's how expensive it is to go back and relicense a picture. And you, you know, they're just talking about an adventure film 
So they have to think about T-shirts, um, soundtracks, uh, international marketing fees. They have to strip down all the posters and remarket it and re-copyright uh, it under a different title. There's a lot of things that go process. And then they have to spend all the money they did previously with a different title. You have to spend that 100% again to then market it with the new name. Uh, and that is why it was what became an insurmountable amount of money for them to make back at the cinema, um, which, you know, at the time of recording here in Australia, we're still waiting for the James Bond movie, No Time to Die to come out. But because of the COVID uh, delays and the multiple times that movie has been pushed back, the talk in Hollywood is for that movie to break even needs to make back $750 million. Oh, wow. Because all of that is the remarketing to resolicit it for review and everything else. Again, uh, as in like, oh, we're, we're not releasing it in this period now. We're moving it in this period. Re-spend all this money. Oh, no, now we're moving it back to here. Spend all this money. Now we're moving it forward. We feel a bit more confident. Spend all the money. Oh, we're moving it back like, even further. All of that has, and it's a massive cost that you know, our brains can't quite comprehend of how it could be possibly that expensive. But you are talking about marketing worldwide. But yeah, that's just one of those weird things that happens on movies. And I guess whoever was in charge in the money of this movie should have said when they wanted to change the movie's title a second time, whoa, 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 let's not be so hasty. Just let's be honest and like how much money we're going to have to spend just for a little snip on the title is it that big an issue um yeah i mean i've i've not got the guy's name here but the person in charge as this movie was being made by the time it was put out it left he no longer worked there so there's a, a few changes behind the scenes the box office for this movie ended up being 284.1 million yeah which if they had not spent all that extra on marketing probably would have made this a mild success um not the the flop it is known as now um and and the marketing didn't just mess up with name changes i remember when it, it was initially released like long before when the first trailer came out i was like wait what what is this knowing the comic books working in a comic book store at the time and selling the comic books on like a, a monthly basis or almost fortnightly basis because so many titles were coming out at the time. I'm like, what? That, that's not how you should market this movie. And then a fan, knowing what the source material was, took all of the trailer footage that had been leaked uh, or released and then recut it into a fan made trailer, which made a lot more sense because Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, this is the guy who basically was like, it was like Mr. I create your, your intellectual property back in the uh, 20th, early 20th century, like talking 1905, 1910s, that sort of era. He created Tarzan. He created uh, John Carter and he created so many other massive name characters that we've all 
watched multiple movies of Disney movies, animated, live action, the works. Um, and this is the sort of stuff that inspired Flash Gordon. And more importantly, and as the fan pointed out, this is the stuff that influenced and was a big uh, thing that George Lucas was into. George Lucas was massive on John Carter of Mars. Yeah. And none of that was in the marketing. There's no way to know quite kind of what sort of movie storyline you're going to get off from the trailer that Disney put out. Massive misstep. And you're talking like one of the like biggest writers uh or modern writers of like the last century edgar rice burrows that's how big the character of john carter is his name edgar rice burrows was left out of the marketing yeah it was completely entirely left out. there's and he's elements... a character in the movie <laughs> he is yes maybe that was to avoid confusion who knows the the romance not in the trailers no. So it's like they were restricting their audience. And from what I've read, a lot of it was down to Andrew Stanton. This was his first movie as a director in live action. Previously, he'd done animation, like Wally, that was one of his. And he'd had a lot of success with Pixar, but this was his first live action movie. I mean, Robert Zemeckis, he turned it down. He quipped, George already pillaged all of that with Star Wars. In other <laughs> words, most of the best elements of Edgar Rice Burroughs' Mars fantasies had already been borrowed for George Lucas's space operas. Yeah. So what was happening a lot is that what people were getting with this movie, they'd seen it before. But John yeah. Carter did it first. Yeah. Other movies just beat them to it. Pushed it front and center of like, this is the inspiration for all that stuff you already love. It, you would have found an audience who was like, oh, really? I'm curious of like what, how, how it could have influenced. And then when you saw the movie, you'd be like, oh, wow. I, could, yeah. I, could, I see where it comes from. That would have definitely have been a good way to market it. Several developments on a theatrical film adaption of the Barsoom series emerged throughout the 20th century from various major studios and producers, with the earliest attempts dating back to the 1930s. Most of these efforts, however, ultimately stalled in development hell. In the late 2000s, Walt Disney Pictures began a concentrated effort to develop a film adaption of Burroughs' works, after an abandoned venture by the studio in the 1980s. The project was driven by Andrew Stanton, who had pressed Disney to renew the screen rights from the Burroughs estate. Stanton became the new film's director in 2009, and as I said, it was his first live-action debut. He also did Finding Nemo back in 2003. So Finding Nemo, and then he did Wall-E in 2008, and then Which 2012, two huge films, massive, but in animation. And then 2012, he did this film, which happened to be the centennial anniversary of the character's first appearance. So that's nice. A hundred yeah, years yeah. later, the film based on the original story. 
Yeah, yeah he finally comes good. <laughs> well, that was the idea. Yeah. The film was presented in Disney Digital 3D, Real D 3D, and IMAX 3D formats. So this is another one of those movies. We talked about Green Hornet already on the podcast. Based on the success of Avatar, this got stuck in needing to be 3D, which is another place for money to go. Absolutely. Those cameras are expensive to hire. And if it's something that you didn't plan from the get-go, it is something even more expensive to add after the fact. Yeah. Upon release, John Carter received a mixed critical reception with praise for its visuals, Michael Giacchino's score, and the action sequences, but criticism towards the characterization and plot. The film flopped at the North American box office, but it set an opening day record in Russia. So there's some positivity yeah. around this movie. It grossed $284 million at the worldwide box office, resulting in a $200 million write-down for Disney, becoming one of the biggest box office bonds in history. And with a total cost of $350 million, including an estimated production budget of $263 million, it is one of the most expensive films ever made. No surprise to anybody, due to the film's poor box office performance, Disney cancelled plans for a sequel titled Gods of Mars and the trilogy Stanton had planned. When you get to the end of the movie, you see the title, John Carter of Mars. It should have been, that should have been the name. It really should have been the name, but apparently, like Stanton, like everything that I've read, he was driving this. He was absolutely driving this movie. And when it comes to the marketing, he was the one that was making the decisions. And he wanted, because it's setting up the character, the movie was about John Carter. It's not about John Carter from Mars until you get to the end of the film where he accepts his part in all of this. But from the get-go, it should have been John Carter of Mars. That sounds like it like so it sounds like something. Yeah. It sounds like a thing. Whereas John Carter sounds like a bloke. Yeah, which is exactly what he is. He's a guy who ends up in this fantastical situation. And it's like, uh, what? And by the end of it, he accepts, like, that's his calling. So I get um, the reasoning of having him accepting his calling, the full title being at the end, but that should have just been the title of the film. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hate to put it in this way, but also, yeah, Screen Rant do it when they do their pitch meetings. John Carter of Mars. That's sweet. That's the name of the movie. Because he does say it. He does say it uh, at near toward towards the end of the film. It that like John Carter of Earth. Nah, I think I like John Carter of Mars. Like it's something voiced out loud by the yeah. character in terms of like, nah, I've accepted it. Um, yeah, and like that's all the the back behind the scenes nonsense that. <laughs> Is unfortunately, think, yeah. one, I think, one of the reasons why people don't bother to check out this film. Like, it's which you know, we'll get to and we, as we start to discuss it, but you know, 
that is an uphill battle that you've created for a film right from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. Taylor Kitsch as John Carter. Yeah, and after, around this time, he he was expected. He had that, that thing in Hollywood that the, the closest story I can think of, there's actually two, Val Kilmer and Josh Holloway. Uh, in the 80s and early 90s, Val Kilmer was always expected to be like the next big thing, like like Tom Cruise ha- did it, and then they expected it to be like Val Kilmer to go on and be like this big, huge Hollywood star, given uh, the look of him as an actor, uh, as a leading man, and the quality of his uh, acting ability. They're like, it's just a matter of time before this guy is like the big thing. Josh Holloway was like the standout star of the Lost TV series. He played Sawyer. And he was expected to go on and like become this big next big thing. And anytime he got attached to a project, it just seemed to like drift away or not underperform or things like that. And this Taylor Kitsch was the next one. You know, he was Gambit in Wolverine Origins. He he did this, which underperformed at the box office. And he's, He's gone on in, he was in uh, the Battleship film. There it is. I was wondering if you mentioned that. <laughs> Which also another one that kind of under, that was expected to perform well thanks to Transformers, but of course underperformed because it's based on a board game. But anyway, like he, he's had a lot of these come out, but he's also had like, like stellar performances that people talk about. Like uh, he was in American Assassin which was, you know, is the, the main actor from the Maze Runner films was a, uh, a big proponent of. And yeah, he, it's yeah, this, as I said, it was like, oh, J- J- John Carter, like uh, this is going to happen. Like yeah. he, he's going to work his thing. He's just had the, the worst look. Like remember True Detective, how fantastic that first season was. And yeah. then they did a second season and it yeah. wasn't well received. Taylor yep. Kitsch was in that. That was kind of like yeah. going to be his comeback. And before his films, he was in the TV series Friday Night Lights. So he's had yep. some success and recognition. But yeah, this movie did him no no favors. Like he's not responsible for the big financial loss, but it's his face on all the posters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? he's the main. He, he is John Carter. He's the title character. And I got to say. He's he's doing a lot in this movie. You know, it the movie really is resting on his shoulders in terms of like if when you sit down to watch this film, it, you are getting a lot of Taylor Kitsch. Um, he's he's in physical shape. They've do done a, they do a really good job. Like the opening of this film, when you're introduced to him on Earth in the like they get to Mars fairly quickly, which is good because it's the, the premise of the whole movie. But before he gets there, they make sure you understand who he is as a character. It's the introduction with him opposite Brian Cranston when he, uh, him starting a fight in the, the, the store when he wants to get supplies because he's looking for a cave of gold. Um, you know, when he, they, keep, they knock him out and they drag him and he just immediately starts fighting with them and trying to escape again and again and again and they like but by showing that sequence and be showing like even though he's trying to get away from these guys 
when Brian Cranston gets shot, he goes back and you can see like the, the, the reluctant hero that he is still in there. Um, all of that happens in like the first 10, 15 minutes. Like, as I said, by the time he ends up on Mars, which takes less than 20 minutes, I mean, it's probably mm. more like 15. Yeah, it's pretty, like, you're very well aware of yeah. the, 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 the kind of van he is, which is yep. expert uh, character introduction. Um, yeah, yeah and, it's, and very, great. He, uh, it's very fast paced for sure. Yeah, because they know you want to get him to where the story actually begins, which is all of the stuff on Mars, which if you're wondering why we were talking about the Bassoon trilogy and everything else, and we, instead of Mars, Bassoon is the name that the Martians give Mars. Um, but yeah, he's good. I mean, is he phenomenal? Is he, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man levels of talent or Christian Bale Batman levels of talent? No, he's no. not. But but he's doing he is yeah he's, he's doing, doing everything really he needs to. Job. Yeah, um, and because he's he's supposed to be the straight man as well. All the funny stuff comes in that misinterpretation, like fish out of water stuff. They're not really like wisecracks. It's you know it's the uh, I'm fed up of this stuff and the as I said the mistranslation stuff. Um, and yeah, it's a good, it's a good, solid performance. It is. And something that you do associate with this character, the super jumps. Now that's yeah. the thing, like, you know, they talk about bone density, the difference between Earth and Mars is that yeah. he can jump really far. Yeah, scientific reason, which is how they came up with it initially back for the stories way back when, is because... Mars being smaller than Earth only has about it's a third or a quarter the gravity of Earth. So the idea of if you grew up in a 1G, one Earth time force of gravity, and you were to suddenly instantaneously transport it to Mars, which has breathable ox- atmosphere and everything else, that your sh- you would basically have super strength on Mars because you're suddenly... F- moving and uh, experiencing such a lower force of gravity. I buy it. It tracks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if a Kryptonian under Earth's yellow sun has all the abilities that Superman has, I get it. Yeah, Going absolutely. to another planet, you get powers. But for them to yep. achieve that with the actor and for him to do the super jumps, he was attached to a harness that allowed him to free fall at a speed of 80 miles per hour. Apparently, oh. Kitch found it unpleasant. I would think. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't yeah. like that at all. And he jumps a lot in this movie. So that's, he does. That's a lot he jumps of time. more than the Hulk. He does. <laughs> it's a, that's a lot of time in the harness. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. Like, you know, he does what's expected of him in in this role yeah he's good yeah you know he he, he does what he needs to do yeah um deja thoris is probably the next lead character uh, a character that i think has had more comic books than even the title character john carter That's true yeah she's often getting that monthly 
series and crossing over with other dynamite characters. I'm pretty sure they've had a crossover with Red Sonja. Red Sonja. Uh, Vampirella. Vampirella, that's it. Yeah, they've had yeah, crossovers uh, together. Yeah, any other like strong female barbarian sword-wielding type, then she's probably crossed over with them. Um, and, you know, she, the princess of Mars, yes, but she's a warrior princess um, who, not having read the original source material, I, I can't confirm this personally, but uh, the way she was always drawn in comics is she's basically wearing a loincloth, like a long, long flowing loincloth, and like stickers over nipples and not a lot else because uh, well, according the... to people who read the source material the martians are naked well, i was going to say in the book carter and the natives were nude yeah they're clearly not going to do that in a no what i think is a pg-13 pretty sure that's what it was in the u.s they're not going to do yeah, that a PG, in, a, yeah. in a disney movie yeah, or any movie of this era, like have the entire cast naked who are supposed to be like fighting wars. Do you know what like, though? That would have been an area where they'd have saved some of that budget. Because for <laughs> this film, about yep. 1,800 costumes were designed, 383 yards of cloth material were used to design various costumes. The wedding dress that she wears, right? And the, the dress, the crown, the cuffs, everything featured 120,000 crystals, each stitched by hand. Yeah, and that's a lot of man hours to pay for. <laughs> that is so expensive. That is... Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. One so... thing I'll say, while we brought it up, the costumes and the design of this movie is, you can see that the, you can see the money spent. Oh, definitely. Everything looks phenomenal. Um, they, they, oh, thankfully as well, very handily for when you're watching the sequences, the people from the good city and the people from the bad city, uh, the good city being Helium, the bad city being uh, Sedanga, uh, one's wearing blue, one's wearing red, makes it very easy to, at a glance, tell who's fighting whom. I mean, that's true. You know, on that, you know, so they're from Helium, John Carter, his whole thing is he doesn't quite float, but kind of. Yeah. Helium floats. That's kind. I'm assuming that's, and he ends up being their hero. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, or, and also one of the, one of the lightest elements. <laughs> so that, that, um, that tracks. Yeah. And yeah, it's, as I said, it's, it's a good design choice. Um, the actress who plays Asia Thoris, Lynn Collins, also in Wolverine Origins. That's right. She played yeah. Silver Fox. Yeah, there we go. And just like Kitch, she's doing what she needs to do here. Yeah, she is. She's uh, a strong personality. She's an intellectual, probably the smartest person in the films. She's the scientist who dis- who's on the verge of discovering the ninth ray whatever that is. We gets... see it as kind of like blue light, yeah. stuff. But she gets overlooked um, because her role is to just marry. That's that's what her father and her people want to do. But you're right, like yeah. she is like 
one of the smartest people in the movie. Yeah, and uh, the reason for that being by the time she's come to this conclusion, they're already on the verge of being overrun. So, like, oh, like, if this thing isn't ready to go, like, literally right now, then sorry, we don't have that sort of time. Like, marry this guy, save save your people. Um, and, you know, Lynn Collins, very attractive, um, has to be in great shape because as much as they spent on these costumes, they don't cover a whole lot. Some really great, interesting design, and this must be it must have taken a long time to apply all those um facial markings and body tattoos, which yep. are, she, are on free display for on her body for the entire film. Like, that's a lot of time, that's all like the attention to detail, which helps. Yeah, you know, it's never it's never skewed, it's never missed. The, like, every you can see it all in crystal clear detail. Um, yeah, and she's. As, like you said, like Taylor, she's doing at least at least what's required, but she's it's a lot. It's enough. Like there's a lot of she is half the movie. Like between her, Lynn Collins and Taylor Kitsch, that's you're accounting for like eighty percent of runtime. I mean, <laughs> there's I not a lot else left on the table. If you look into that original source material, A Princess of Mars, so it makes yeah. sense that she is as prominent. Is she is in the film, but you're right. Also, you can see the money. You can see where the yeah. money's going. Like it's, it is such an expensive looking film. It's just a shame that more people did not watch it. Yeah, um, Willem Dafoe playing Tars Tarkas, the Dej, uh, the what they call the their kings, the Dejak of the Thark. The Thark, green, yeah. A- yeah, the green aliens with six arms. Um, great character design. I'll get that out of the back. All looks like the CGI on this as well has held up really well for a movie from that far back. But I mean, it's Willem Dafoe. Like, he he's phenomenal. He's great. I'll say this. Yeah, in, in his character is Solar's father, another character we'll get to. I didn't even notice him. It yeah. wasn't until after the fact that I was looking at the cast. Oh, right. Like, I was looking at the cast list and came across David Schwimmer. I'm like, really? He's, he's in this movie? He played one of Fark's men. Like, he was yeah. in it. Not a massive part, but he was in it. But yeah, William Defoe, like, I like his character. Like, he tries to keep it secret that Zola is his daughter. And he does it because he wants to protect her. So that's interesting, their relationship. And then he sacrifices himself to protect her and for John Carter to go off. Azola, we've got Samantha Morton. But again, like it was just, I didn't know it was her either. I, I completely missed a lot of the the voices in this, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and they have an interesting culture. It's well thought out. They don't have to sit there and explain every little thing and what every little thing is there for. But... You know, when you're f- initially introduced to Solar, she's kind of being bullied by uh, one of the other Tharks, who's a right bitch, to be honest. And you can see the uh, like how low and she must feel because this is clearly something that happens has happened to her her whole life. And then when John Carter first sees her, you see 
these this patterning on her skin that looks painful and then it's very quickly revealed those markings are punishments for being burnt into her skin and like she's on the verge of being executed because she's got no more space to receive a mark like what she be doing in her whole life to receive something? <laughs> we we don't <laughs> know what that is, but yes. To, but to save her, her dad, yeah, again makes the sacrifice and yeah, yeah, because she doesn't get to get a child, which it's darks. They're not supposed to know the children. They're all taken and given birth in like a hatchery away from town, so there's no way to know whose child is whose. So they have it. They only care about the tribe. There's no familial handing down of like power or reins or anything of that nature. Um, and she's been denied one. She, the person she gets as a child is John Carter. John Carter. But it's because she was deemed as being weak. And then the whole thing is like, if they don't hatch in time or there's something wrong, they just get left. Yeah. Um, or killed. So they can't be food for like the enemies, which is quite um, dark and- for a Disney film, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Samantha Morton does a great job. Like, Sola is a very well-realized character, and she's it's because of her performance um, that's really pushing, driving that. And it's all great. Like, you know, yet between Willem Dafoe and Samantha Morton, you get most of the comedy of, like, you know, they explain, try, trying to, before he can understand this speech, like, it's, they, they think his name's Virginia, and that's <laughs> only exacerbating him further. Um, him not listening because he's kind of a jerk, just wanting to get home. Uh, like getting her further and further in trouble. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's well done. And yeah, kudos to both Willem Dafoe and Samantha Morton on these. These two characters are brilliant. Yeah, you're definitely very fully realized. And again, I didn't hear the voices. I just saw the characters. And yeah, they both did a really... Good job. I mean, surprise to no one. Mark Strong's in this film as a bad guy. What? No. <laughs> I mean, occasionally he plays good guys. Very occasionally. Yeah, but like for the most Astro. part. <laughs> honestly, what film was it? Oh, Kingsman, The Secret Service. I was like the whole time I was watching that film for the first time, I was waiting for his character to turn. Like, surely. Merlin's not a good guy. Like he's going to turn on them, but he never does. Yeah, yeah. I was also expecting the same from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, <laughs> because he's the bad guy. That's. It. I mean, again, like he's got some some examples where he was a bit of a wrong one, but a good guy, I guess, in Rock and Roller. Yeah. There's got to be other examples. Oh, Grimsby. Yeah. That comedy he did with Sasha Baron Cohen. That's such a good film. Yeah. Ridiculous. Good <laughs> film. But here we are. Yeah. So he's the main bad guy. He's somebody that is manipulating things on Earth and on on Mars. Yeah. His character name, Matai Sheng. Uh, he's a Thern who is part of the mythology. They don't, they don't need to get heavy handed. They don't bother it going too in depth, although I'm sure in the books. Like all of this is explained in great detail. Apparently, but yeah, like... in the books, they come later, though. Yeah. Not necessarily his first trip 
to Mars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's smart. They're uh, they're interesting. They they seem to be able to shape shift, fly. Um, they ha- already have control of the night's ray and can use it to. They can bestow the tech on anyone they see, but it can't be used against them. Bullets can though. Uh, it's got to be a weakness. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, it's lead, just like uh, other characters. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking specifically of uh, Monel from. DC comic books. Right, okay, yeah. I, I thought that might be a particular example you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. A bullet, a, a man who's bulletproof like Superman, except in the case where bullets are made of the thing that are really made out of lead. Uh, but, yeah, and yeah, Mark Strong, is, he's a good bad guy. Like, and Hence, he's good in this role as a bad guy. Must be the, the lack of hair. People must just see his face and like, oof. You look like you could terrify people. Bad guy. I like him Rich when he's... British voice, bad guy. <laughs> I like him when he's like a lives and life bad guy chewing scene and we're like in kick-ass. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's good in that. We've got Dominic West in this as Sab Fan. Yeah. He, he gets given that technology. He's not really doing a lot. We know his motivations... Yeah, you get him at like one of the opening uh, battles, which is cool because they're on like their their ships, which basically sail on light or are at least solar powered. Um, and the, he's he's on the verge of losing and being wiped out by the Heliums, only to be given the tech to then completely turn everything around. The head of the predatory city, Sedanga. Uh, Where's red? red? Bad guy. Red, blue. Good guy's blue. See, um, yeah, so we get a good opening with his character, but then he's just like a gun for hire. Like he's just working on behalf of the big bads. Yeah, he's yeah he's uh he's like goon number one, like main henchman. <laughs> like if this was Venture Brothers, he'd be henchman twenty four. <laughs> like, yeah, which is a shame because I mean. A lot of people I know uh, and, uh, who are my friends know him at, from The Wire, which he was phenomenal in. Um, I'm also familiar with him from Zack Snyder's 300. He was the traitor who was uh, selling him out. So, and I've seen him, and he's also Jigsaw in the, the uh, Punisher film with Ray oh, Winston. That's right. Stevenson, Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson, yeah. Um, Winston is yeah. another person altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he and he's another one that kind of seems to end up quite a lot as the bad guy. Again, British accent. Like I don't know what it is about Americans and Brits, but it's a thing, isn't it? Well, yeah. like casting as his villains. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's and like I said, he's 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 good it's just he doesn't get a whole lot to do he's just he looks the part like he looks menacing but just yeah i don't know he's yeah. just he's got the cheesy part, like salesman grin that he can do that's it but for the most part he's just there we've got james purefoy as cantos can yeah um yeah he's basically the main general of helium 
uh, Deja Fault Thoris being the princess, of course, her king or Dejak uh, being her father. And Kantos Khan is, he's like, a, he's a, a great general, like a, a good guy. He's always going to do the right thing. Um, he's going to do what he's ordered. Um, and James Purefoy does a great job. I, I'm i used to him as the like absentee kind of a prick of a father from Sex Education on Netflix. Ah, I've not seen that show. I was just pleased to see him not be a traitor. Kind of thinking yeah. that's that's where it was going to go for his character. You know, I've got to say, like, <laughs> whenever we you know we talk about a character, their name, and a description of maybe where they're from, where they serve, everything just sounds so made up. And that's a silly thing to say because yeah. everything is like well, you know, film yeah. TV, or most things are. But this in particular, it's so high concept. It is so impressive that these stories have been around since 1912 yeah so even now it's hard to get your head around some of the ideas but it's impressive yeah. that it's been going for as long as it has and after all those years this is the movie that we get yeah yeah um i mentioned earlier brian cranston he plays uh, C- uh colonel powell who in the books is like a fairly large character um and in the comics they've done uh a, a colonel powell or lord of mars or like uh it was a short run not like the john carter stuff but you know he was a significant thing and this is brian cranston post breaking bad or during breaking bad so it was a name to get not in this movie for a whole lot <laughs> But, you know, it's Brian Cranston. He does a great job. He's kind of the initial antagonist to John Carter while he's on Earth because he's trying to force him back into the military because of his prior military experience. And he's known for being like a, a, a really uh, good cavalryman um, for what was like, the South in the uh, American Civil War. But yeah, uh, he's in it. He's good for the. Uh, he's, <laughs> I mean, he for is, the time I agree. he's in it. Yeah, I I agree. We've got Daryl Sabara as Ned, the nephew of John Carter. Yeah, uh, who, as I said, this is Edgar Rice Burroughs. Like they've taken the idea that the stories of these, like Edgar Rice Burroughs, was told by his uncle that he's later written the books of having been part, like kind of directly involved. There's a few stories, some conflicting. I think one that I read is this, he's trying to say that John Carter was Edgar Rice Burroughs' great uncle. And that's who he based the stories on. Yeah. But it is weird knowing that it's based on a book by this writer and then is a character in the film. And maybe that's why Stanton didn't want it in the marketing. But perhaps. Um, but I don't... I think you only once get his name as Edgar Rice Burroughs. Otherwise, the rest of it, it's all It's just Ned. Ned. Yeah. Ned. yeah, mainly like, I mean, I mean mainly if Ned. you weren't paying attention, you would have easily missed them calling him by his full name. So 
I don't know why it'd be such a problem of like putting it in the marketing. Yeah, no, that's probably yeah, no, that's probably not it. But you know, even like you said, you know, the inspiration for Star Wars. Yeah, from the Flash creator Gordon. of Tarzan. You know, yeah. everyone knows Tarzan. Yeah, um, yeah, and we haven't mentioned him, but the uh, father of Dejah Thoris is Tardos Moors, played by. The name I always have problem with. I'm pretty. I'm, I think it's Kieran Himes. It's I'm pretty sure. A, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Kieran. Very strangely, um, phenomenal actor. Again, he's not in this movie a lot. He's in it even less than Dominic West. Um, doesn't have a whole lot to do. Um, I mean, he was great as Steppenwolf in Justice League. He was great in Game of Thrones as the man, the king beyond the wall. He's he's a really well known. British actor, he another one who was in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He he is like of a immense caliber, um, and he's good in this. It's just not a whole lot to do. Um, and we should probably also mention uh, the main like rival to Willem Dafoe's character, Tars Tarkas, uh, in terms of the Tharn Darks, is Tal Hajus, played by or voiced by Thomas Hayden Church, Sandman himself. Yeah, that's right. And um, he gets killed. <laughs> like he, yeah, brutally. He's, he's ruling for a short while, but um, yeah, brutally killed. You know, there's yeah. a lot of impressive fight scenes in this with John Carter utilizing the super jumps, the super strength. We do get some interesting things here. Like there's that scene with the white apes. Yeah, yeah, in the arena, very. Which I, while I was watching it the first time, I'm like, this feels like Genosis and the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> Honestly, there's a lot of this movie that if if people are watching this and they don't know, they're going to think it's a big ripoff of lots of things that they've seen previously. Whereas yeah. the source material, a hundred years before this movie was released, yeah was released yeah it was in books yeah um yeah and we haven't even gotten to the music michael giacchino who really really stepped up on the music side the soundtrack to this is brilliant oh the score is is fantastic so another area where they clearly spent money yeah um and yeah, it shows. You know, like, like we said, they spent a lot of money on this, and it 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 helps with so much of the movie. But I think one of the places where it really shined is the music. Um, there's a sequence. It's really it's really great when um, they're running away from like the feral fox after learning like kind of what. John Carter needs to do to get home, even though Deja Thoris is like lying. Like, oh no, I don't know. We need to go back to my my city so I can properly translate what we need to do. Um, he realizes that they're not gonna make it, so he stands back and fights off the horde single-handedly. And it's interspersed with something that's just like mildly hinted beforehand. They keep cutting the fact that he's wearing two wedding rings but he's never mentioned his wife. Uh, and we know he, he, he's always, he's felt like a broken man the whole movie. 
and then this sequence is where it's done where it's interspersed with the the beats of uh, as it transitions from him going like like letting loose and fighting for his life and theirs against all these Starks to him coming home from the war to a burnt out house back to them, back to the fighting back to like, there's the burnt out corpse of his wife and daughter and then back. And it's, and it's, it, it's not a long sequence, but it's really well edited, really well shot. And the music, it like just, it, it's got like a, a, a rhythmic beat to it as they move from, they cut from one sequence to the next back and forth between the two. And like, it's a beautiful sequence. And like that music really is like the emotional anchor in it, but it's really well done. Like it's possibly my favorite part of the film is that sequence there. Cause it's like, it's where you finally get like, that's why he's so broken. And we're finally getting to see like what the emotional release he probably needed to, to get over it, that he's as a, you know, a proper cav- a Southern cavalry man, like never let himself do. Like it finally gets, he gets it out there and yeah, it's a great sequence. It's oh funny. yeah. It's a very, it's a very strong scene. And you know, there is examples throughout the movie of good things like that. But again, going back to first time directing live action, Andrew Stanton, a movie of this scale, and he seemed to have a lot of control. I think for the most part, got away from him. I don't even yeah. know he's done live action since, to be honest. Like obviously he's had positive I'm yeah, I'm positive he hasn't. I'm pretty sure he's gone back to some success more successful uh, animation, but so maybe like a... maybe if he'd have had more support, I, I, I don't know. But for a first-time director, a movie of this scale, because it's just a shame because, yeah, there's examples of things working really well, but yeah. this really could have been the start of something. And, yeah, the score by Giacchino is, is fantastic. And this would have been, what, three years after he did Star Trek, the JJ movie. Yeah, and before he did Rogue One, which was another success for him. Ah, of like, course, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, he's um like top tier talent. Like if like if you can't get Hans Zimmer right now, like Michael Ciacchino is a, a great number two. Hey, and he's currently doing the Batman, the Matt Reeves movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm very excited um, to see what we get from that. But we've stopped talking John Carter. We're talking Batman. Yeah. <laughs> so if we bring it back to John Carter and you're going to rate this movie out of five. Yeah. Um, I actually quite enjoy this film. Uh, I, I get a lot of personal enjoyment out of it. I've only watched it a couple of times. I watched it initially at the cinema. I watched it at the, at the start of COVID. I watched it because it had been so long since I've seen it. And I, I've, I watched it again like a few days ago for this podcast. And I've enjoyed it every time I've watched it. I really do think it's it's a gem that will probably become like maybe like a cult classic in the, down, down the road because it has so many elements that should have – that did work or should have worked because they put the effort in. They put it on the, on the design – 
on the on the costumes and the set design the special effects really are yes ilm is disney like they they were always going to achieve on that level um as they would they i mean they had the budget for it it's and and the when you put together the story overall it's not overly complicated because but it is still good but i I probably put it in a three and a half out of five. Uh, it doesn't quite make four, even though I get so much enjoyment. But if I was going to recommend three and a half, there is plenty here to really take on and enjoy. But as a as a, a objective recommendation, three and a half. How about yourself? A little bit lower. I'm going to come in at a three out of five. Like this is a movie that I have recommended. It's it's a fun movie. It unfortunately it just didn't find its audience. You said there that you watched it at the cinema. I didn't. I rented it. So I'm part of the problem. I think people like yeah. me didn't go to the movies and watch it. But it is a good time. I've seen it twice now. When it first came out to rent was the first time, and then I watched it again a couple of days ago in preparation for this. It's a fun movie. It really is. It has a lot of good elements. It's just a shame that not only did we not get the planned sequels? Taylor Kitsch is not quite recovered. So hopefully things can change for him because, you know, he, for the most part, he's able to carry this film. You know, like yeah. I said, you know, whether it's his performance, you know, acting or his physical presence, like he's, he's pretty decent. But this movie yeah. paired with Battleship and a couple of things, it just slowed things down for him. But this film is definitely a good time. If you're somebody that's not seen this, but you like Star Wars and movies like Dune, you know, the David Lynch version, I know we're getting the new one. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it's fun. It is, it is not a bad movie at all. Like I can't no. see how someone could watch this and think that it was a bad movie. It's messy at times, but it's a good film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said, the pace, they get to where this, the action happens really quickly, which I'm always appreciative of, especially when you're talking what's essentially an origin film. Like, I've heard so many people complain, it takes him forever to get to be what the zoom is like. No, no, this. He's in there and you see him stumbling around and like learning to jump within like 15, 20 minutes. And then the real movie kicks in. So definitely like as i said like it's not the greatest thing but it's if you have disney plus it's there um it's really well the, you know they've really put in the effort to to have cre created something uh, i do hope it finds an audience well, one more time though john carter of mars sounds like a much better movie than john carter 100 100% what a what a misstep yeah, or I just even, don't understand. Even if they called it the Warlord of Mars, I mean, maybe it yeah. sounds too aggressive for a Disney sci-fi, you know, space opera. But yeah. John Carter of Mars, it sounds so much better. Yeah, yeah, easily, easily. Well, that's it for our episode all about John Carter. If you would like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode. You can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast.
You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. <laughs>